I'm Lindsay Curtis, and this is Her Return, a podcast devoted to women making the journey of returning home to their divinely human, feminine essence. Each episode is an opening up of a real-life topic with experiential techniques and tools to support you on your journey home. Today, my guest is Holly Toronto. Holly is a certified master coach who has five years of experience helping women stop prioritizing other people's expectations of beauty, belief, or behavior so that they can live their life from a place of wholeness. Holly uses intuitive and spiritual approaches that constantly guide her clients back to themselves, helping them fall in love with their own unique and powerful voice build partnership with their wise and beautiful body, and embody a spirituality that guides and directs the bold lives that they desire to live. I am so excited for this conversation as we dive into what is going on in purity culture, how to transcend and transform that, how to recognize the good girl archetype and welcome in some feminine freedom. Enjoy. Well, hello. Welcome, 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 Holly. I'm so excited to be sitting here with you today. Thank you for having me, Lindsay. I'm really excited for our conversation. Awesome. Oh, so let us set the stage. Let's talk about you for a moment before we talk about anything else that you do in the world, because who you are is what it's really about on the Her Return podcast. So I'd love to hear a little bit about you and maybe little Holly and what has led you and inspired you into being who you are and therefore Mm. doing what you do. Mm. Oh, I love that you already brought little Holly (laughs) into this space because like she by far and away informs the work that I do today, the work that's nearest and dearest to my heart. And so, yeah, if we kind of rewind time back into like my 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 history my my heroine's journey and I um so I grew up in a family that was considered themselves born again Christian um and so I'm I'm not here let me just preface by saying I'm not here to like poo-poo on any religion or religion in general like that's not my come from but more to shed light on some of the the shadow aspects of what we can embody in our in our little bodies and in our psyches when we're confronted with certain messages. And so I grew up in a family that identified as born again Christian. At the root of Christianity is this belief of original sin, mm-hmm. right? And this is not something that was talked about in the Bible mm-hmm. by any means. In fact, if you read like the creation poem in Genesis, which is the very beginning of the Bible, the the words and it was good right? And it was blessed is, is how the story begins. And so the, the, the true story of Christianity actually starts with goodness, but um, it's been co-opted over time. And there was a man, I think in the third or fourth century, um, a leader, St. Augustine, who came up with this idea of original sin because of his own stuff around sex and his shame around his body and um, projecting that onto the, you know, the millions of people that he had influence on and kind of carrying that over generation and generation to, to, to up until this point. And so I was introduced to this idea of original sin that I was born bad from a very, very young age. Like I had an understanding of that from probably four or five when the concept of mortality was introduced to me in terms of like, okay, well, where are you going to go when you die? 
right? Like, are you going to go to heaven or are you going to go to hell? Mm. And if you want to ensure that you're going to go to heaven, you need to follow this very prescriptive way of living. First being like following Jesus and asking Jesus into your heart, hence like born again, that term, Um, getting baptized, um, staying pure, not having sex before marriage, which I'm sure we'll get into. Um, And then there's other things that are like, that I take from that religion that are, um, I think necessary and good, like service orientedness, you know, like leading with your heart. But I, um, I actually learned that my, my body was sinful, Mm. that my flesh was sinful and that I was inherently bad. And it created this, can this environment within me where I felt like I was constantly seeking my goodness, constantly seeking goodness. Like, am I good enough? Am I a good enough Christian? Am I a good enough daughter? Am I a good enough student? Am I good enough? Whatever I was at that point. <laughs> and, um, and it's interesting. Um, and, and, and actually makes a lot of sense that like, because Christianity is this uh, religion of hierarchy, right. Where it's like, God and Jesus are, you know, sitting on this throne and we are the lowly, lowly subjects. It creates this interesting dynamic between people, between people who follow this religion and authority. Right. And so for me, I was constantly seeking an authority, right. I always wanted outer authority, outer authority yet to approve of me. And that theme followed itself throughout all phases of my life. I mean, from, from adolescence into high school into college and then um, into my early career when I worked in the fashion industry. So I moved to New York City when I was 18 years old. I went to FIT, the Fashion Institute of Technology, pursued a career in um, fashion where I thought that would be where I was for the rest of my life and like, you know, kind of fell into this very hustle culture, burnout, like I got to work really, really hard. I got to prove myself. And I did like, I got accolades. I got promotions. I was like the youngest senior member on the team at the company that I worked for. Mm-hmm. Um, so much so, so much, I prioritized my achievement so much so that I like was, you know, showing up to work when I had acute appendicitis and actually oh. needed to be in the hospital having surgery and was sitting <laughs> in a meeting about handbag prints. Like, but I made the morning <laughs> meeting. Okay. Exactly. Like I wanted to show, yeah, like how important the spring handbag prints were to me. Oh, and so, yes, so bless that yeah, young I know. Oh, I know. I have so much compassion for her now, but yeah. I thought that leaving that environment, because I found, and, and this is kind of, I'm, I'm segueing a little bit, but um, because that, that manifestation of like, we can call it the good girl, right? Like that's sort of how she's shown up in my life or that, what I, how I name that archetype. Mm-hmm. Um, she also showed up in my relationship to food and my relationship to my body and that I wanted to make my body as like visually appealing as possible and as pure as possible. And I, you know, I had a very disordered relationship with food and my body, which actually brought me to coaching. So I became a health coach because I thought I had a very healthy relationship with food, but was actually a very orthorexic relationship with food, a very controlling relationship with food in my body. Mm. Um, and that's like a whole other piece of my story, but again, just kind of like pulling out like the many different iterations of this. And I thought like when I left my corporate job to pursue a career on my own, that like, oh yeah, like I would just leave behind, you know, this like hyper achievement, needing validation, needing approval, but it suddenly tra- like it put the responsibility entirely on me <laughs> to affirm myself, mm-hmm. which as somebody who has historically looked externally for that type of validation, that was like a huge shadow for me, a huge like um, mountain for me to climb. And it's something that I've spent several years like accessing this like 
deep knowing of my own, like I'm the grantor of my own goodness. Like I'm worthy and enough just as I am and letting that lead yeah. how I show up in my work and my life and my relationships and how I relate to my body. So I just said a lot. That's <laughs> kind of like what brought me to the, to the work that I do today. I've, I've done a lot of work with women um, over the past four years as a health coach around body image and intuitive eating. That's a big part of my work, but also recognizing that um, so many of the issues that we are, that women are confronted with really stem from this like good girl wound, right? This place of like deep unworthiness. Like I'm not enough. I'm not, I'm not complete without the ideal body or the ideal partnership or the ideal job or the, like the success or all of those things. Mm -hmm. And, um, and really like getting to like, and how we fragment ourselves, right. In order to get to that sense of wholeness within ourselves. And it's, it like pulls, actually pulls us apart even more in many ways. And so, yeah, now the work of, of what I, what I'm doing with my clients is much more of a holistic approach of like, let's, let's call back all the parts of you that you've outsourced. Right. And so in fitting yourself back together as whole. Mm. Mm. Yes. Oh, so much there. Um, really coming from, this is so intriguing. Like you said, being four or five and just receiving this message so clearly of I'm born bad. Like that's so young and to have that as a foundation. And I'm sure many of us can relate, even if it isn't in the religious context, there's some event as a child uh, we've had many of them, whether it was we had a certain anger, or I was just working with someone this morning, we were working on anger. And it's like, you know, we shut down our emotions, because at some point, someone said, No, that's bad. <laughs> and we can't, you can't feel that you're not supposed to and, and going into this, uh, what you're calling the archetype of the good girl. Oh, how many of us carry this, right? And what does it do to our creativity? What does it allow us to experience or not in our lives? Mm. Mm -hmm. So I would love to, because I don't have any personal experience with purity culture. Actually, when I was five years old, my mother died. And because I understood my grandmother was very, she was very Catholic and, and um, I understood there was hell because, you know, she made sure to hammer that into me and that there was heaven. And for my opinion, my mom was a bad person because she did drugs. That's what I understood at five. So I was like, did she go to hell? And I remember so clearly my dad being like, nothing exists because he was atheist. Um, yeah. this way. And, and so I was like, okay. So I grew up with like the knowing, like the knowing quote unquote, yeah. <laughs> it is a knowing until we're able to like decide something differently. But I really grew up with like that imprint of like, there's nothingness. So mm -hmm. the good and bad was a lot more of a, a gray area in, oh, in life for yeah. interesting, which gave me a different experience. So I would love to just hear a little bit more about like what the purity culture really looks like so that we can understand mm -hmm. what you've transformed from. Yeah. What is yeah. that shifted? How did it really show up when you, you're a, a teenager and, and you're in your 20s? Like, what was that like? Mm. Yeah. So this is something that is introduced, at least in many evangelical circles from an extremely young age. Like I had an understanding of like who was allowed to have sex and what sex looked like from probably eight years old, like mm. that sex was reserved only for men and women 
right? Between oh, yeah. a man and a woman. Yeah. <laughs> that's like a whole other conversation around like, like homosexuality and different expressions of sexuality in the church. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was reserved for, for a man and a woman in the confines of marriage, mm-hmm. right? So and no anything, self-pleasure. <laughs> no, oh, oh. And, and, and I remember like, as my, my sexuality, which I don't think this is like, you know, abnormally young, but like I got my period when I was around the age of like 10 years, 10 or 11 years old. So I was younger. Um, and my sexuality woke up around the same time and I did self-pleasure like absolutely most children do. And I remember because of this imprint that I had around, um, sex and pleasure being so bad and wrong and, you know, need only within these confines and outside of that was sinful that I just had so much guilt and shame. So, yeah. and I thought that I actually like hurt myself. Like I didn't, I was like, Oh, I'm, I think I hurt my vagina because, because I've self pleasure too much. It's like, and it's looking back on it again, like so much compassion for that younger version of me. And mm-hmm. like, I went through like a whole confession thing and I was like, I've done a bad thing. And like, um, thankfully, you know, I, the, my mom was the one that I like confessed to, and she was actually very understanding of it. And she didn't, um, shame it by any means. But as I grew from like that adolescence, more like innocent exploration into my teenage years, when my sexuality really started to wake up and I was wanting to be with boys and I was wanting like a boyfriend, that's when like the control and the manipulation really set in. Mm. And, And in terms of like the adults in my life, trying to, under the guise of protection, control all of my sexual activity. And so I, I did have boyfriends and I did experiment with them sexually, but like the shame and the guilt that I felt around it, like just the self-flagellation was like, looking back on it, it was debilitating. Like I would just be like, oh my God, I'm so bad. I'm so wrong. And the, there was this belief that because I did that, um, if I didn't marry that boy, <laughs> like to be honest, it was a boy. He was 16 years old, right? <laughs> like I, my I would either never get married or my future marriage would be um, not blessed doomed. by God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So doomed, like there, I would be, I would get divorced. My, my husband wouldn't love me. And like, you know, I, this wasn't my particular experience, but I heard, um, I've heard of like other women who were described like they would be chewed gum if they, <laughs> if they were, if they had sex before marriage, which is quite ridiculous. But I do have like a fairly, um, I, I mean, I would use the word traumatic and embarrassing, violating memory around there was a, a man who came to my church who was a prophet and a prophet is like a, essentially a Christian seer, a Christian psychic who's like gets direct downloads from God's and God and can give them to people. And it was like a great honor if this man like pulled you out of the crowd and was like, God has a message for you. Right. And so I remember distinctly that anytime he pulled a young woman out of the crowd, the message would always be about sexuality. Ooh. and her sexuality, which is like very strange and very inappropriate. And so here I was like in front of 250 people, you know, mostly adults in this church, and I'm pulled out to, to be given a prophetic word. And at first it's really beautiful. At first he's like, you know, you need to trust that you hear the voice of God. And like, and I can look back on that now and be like, yeah, I hear the voice of the divine. I hear the voice of my higher self and mm-hmm. see that as encouragement. But then it took this really dark turn very quickly of him being like, and you know what, I'm going to tell you what I see. Like, boys are around, the wolves are circling you and God has put, you know, your parents in your life as a hedge of protection because God doesn't want you to be spoiled, polluted, or diluted. Oh, wow. As if like, spoiled, polluted, and diluted. Yeah. As if like I could be 
by having sex. Yeah. And so, yeah, like that was essentially like what my understanding of sex was. And I made it my personal mission to try to stay pure until my wedding night, which failed at that mission. Happy to say, I'm very happy to say I failed at that mission. (laughs) Um, But yeah, it was, it, it, interestingly, that, that messaging put me into this relationship with my body that was so so fraught and like I had you know I had mentioned like body shame and things like that but like I hated the way my body looked I hated her well it needs to go somewhere right we we, (laughs) these messages go somewhere and so we can internalize them and even if we want to fight against them because we are wise and our bodies Mm -hmm. are wise beings they'll want to fight but sometimes that fight will then go again inward because Mm -hmm. of that authoritative authoritative structure right so then we're fighting just against ourselves Mm. yes yeah, that's exactly it. And I I fought this for, you know, probably a decade. Like that it was like my number one fight that I had in myself and continuously pressure, projecting that back onto my body. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, interestingly, like, like I said, I failed at my mission to remain a virgin into my wedding night, I'm happy to say. Um, and, 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 and I'm married now. And I, I like, I'm, I feel very fortunate to have found a, a partner who is like outside of that religion. Mm. Um, I think if I had married somebody in that religion and tried to like, like, ex- break you know, ex- break free and, you know, become the fullest expression of who I am today, that would have been much more difficult. Yeah. Um, but I married someone who fortunately was just like, yeah, that stuff's ridiculous. Like, just <laughs> like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not here for that, but I love you. So, and then, you know, kind of like broke free from that together. Um, or broke free from that on my own and, you know, settled into a relationship with him. But, Mm -hmm. you know, when, when I had like given up on my pursuit of like sexual purity in my early twenties, um, I like completely shift the focus of purity to food. Right. And so like everything that went into my body had to be so pure. And like, I went into very much into like the body is a temple thing. So, and you had mentioned this word before, uh, orthorexia. And so just for those who don't know, because I actually just heard this word from a friend who had also experienced it, and she just defined it like a few months ago for me. So if you could give us a definition for this, yeah, what is orthorexia? Yeah, so it's not um, in the DSMR uh, diagnostic. It's not a a diagnosis yet, right? But it's, it's something that's definitely getting a lot more traction as, um, it's becoming more obvious that it's possible to have a really unhealthy relationship with food, right. And, and have eating disorder tendencies without living in an extremely thin body, like having like the, the, you know, sort of stereotypical manifestation of anorexia. Right. And that sometimes eating disorders don't even have to look like an obsession with being thin, it can look like an obsession with being healthy to the point where you are constantly stressed and anxious around food, um, which as we know, stress is like very bad for your health. So it's completely counterproductive. Um, But orthorexia, it's again, like the most basic definition that I can give is the unhealthy obsession with, with healthy eating. Yeah. Right. And so for me, that looked like I had a very prescribed diet that I, I, I was actually put on um, a prescription di- prescriptive diet by a naturopathic doctor to deal with some skin issues that I was experiencing in my my early to mid 20s. And it was supposed to be a very temporary experience. So I cut out like it was a very 
standard anti-inflammatory diet. I cut out tons of different foods and it was supposed to be a six week experiment. And because there was no plan for integration, because this way of eating has actually been normalized in many ways, this like very extreme restrictive diet has been normalized in our culture in many ways. Um, there was actually no plan for integration. And so I ended up staying on this diet for about a year and a half. And during that time, like my skin did not clear up. In fact, it got worse, but I also developed like some pretty severe digestive disorders. I was losing my hair. I was socially isolating because I was terrified of like going out to eat with friends and having them order French fries and me being like, no, I can't put French fries into my body. That's unclean. That's like, or, you know, even like having dessert was like so bad or wrong. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's, that's sort of how it manifested for me. Mm. Um, yeah. Mm. Mm -mm -mm. Well, thank you for that. Thank you for, for telling us and, and opening this up. It's such, um, you know, such a unique experience and so common at mm. the same yeah. time today. It is. It's so common. And, and like, that's, that's what I just want to like name for anybody who's hearing me talk about that. And they're like, yeah. Oh, like, is that me? And it's like, okay, like, let's have first, like, I always like to come back to compassion, like compassion, 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 like let's not guilt and shame ourselves. Mm -hmm. um, but it's also, it's really important for us to be honest with ourselves around what behaviors that we are participating in around food in our body that are stemming from a place of uh, fragmentation, of not being whole, yeah. right? where we're trying to earn something, which for me, it was like the ideal body purity, like optimal health and like, which, you know, optimal health is not like a bad, like, I'm not saying that that's a bad thing, but I was pursuing it in a way that was actually deeply damaging to my health, but like mm -hmm. being mindful of again, how we're seeking externally, right. And striving externally, and perhaps maybe even in some ways punishing ourselves in order to achieve an ideal that we think will get us something. Mm. Right. We'll think we'll get us the praise, the accolades, the relationship, the promotion, like whatever it might be. Right. It's so important for us to be really honest about those types of behaviors because they can have damaging long-term effects on our physical, mental, and emotional health. Definitely. 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 And it's kind of part of the program. Like it's part of the program that's here on earth and the whole idea in institution also of purity culture. It's such a program to keep women's creativity in a nutshell because women who are in touch with their sexuality and sensuality and breathing life force through them are powerful beings. <laughs> yeah. Powerful beings that are here to, to shake it up with love. And that's the thing um, because wow, the hierarchical structure melts when there's a lot more love in the room. I'm so glad that you, you mentioned that piece around like a woman who's embodied in her sexuality and her sensuality is like, she's powerful. Yeah. Right. And, and this was, as I've done my own healing work on this, I've come to realize that like my, my sexuality, I, I feel fortunate in that I never actually shut it down. Yeah. Like I, I very, and, and many women do many women who grow up in purity culture will just completely shut their sexuality down. Mm -hmm. Um, and then they have to like reaccess it. Um, for me, it was like, I, I let it flow. Like I let it flow in the way, like when I was even like the age of eight years old, like the way that I dance, like connecting to my hips, like I, I've done that. I've connected to my sensuality in that way since I was a very young girl mm -hmm. um and continue to even through the most darkest times of feeling shame around sex and, and my body mm -hmm. um 
and recognizing that it was uh, like me connecting to my sexuality and expressing my sexuality ended up being a gateway back to myself. Yes. And I feel super fortunate <laughs> to, to have like, to have never shut it down, um, that it stayed with me because it's such a natural part of who I am. Mm, beautiful. Oh, I feel sparkles in my heart just celebrating you. <laughs> celebrating that because it is, it really, it's, you know, our sensuality and sexuality really is that gateway back into self and to our wholeness. And because we are divine human beings, you know, the, I don't, it really boggles my mind to think of like a creator God that isn't sexual. It's like, hello, how do you think? <laughs> Makes no sense. <laughs> like the universe is definitely created from an orgasm. Like the bliss is underlying everything. Um, yeah. How could I shut that part of myself off? But yes. we do. And, and, you know, that is an easy part to fragment on and off throughout, throughout time, but we can always open it back up. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm, gorgeous. <sighs> Purity to body to wholeness. I love it. So what are your tools? What, like, what was the catalyst to make you be like, okay, this shit is over. I'm like... <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna live yeah. shame free actually just to speak about shame for a second I just spent uh, I just did a cycle a 21 day cycle of being I call it a shame free cycle and every day I would go into my imagery and I would pull up a memory of shame and I would pull up an experience of shame and I would clear that. And then I was doing this with a friend. So then I would send them a voice message and then later in the day they would send me theirs. And so we were this bouncing board because, you know, shame isn't really cleared until you tell someone because <laughs> right. this is right. the thing about shame. It's about hiding. Right. So even if we process the emotion, it's not really going to be done until you're seen or heard in it. Right. Yep. And it was so interesting because I just, what I received from by the end of this was recognizing how much shame is just a layer over things, whether mm -hmm. it be a layer over the fear to do something, or it's just a layer over our brightness. And it's just like this useless, useless, dirty layer that just yeah. needs to go. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. I mean, I, um, when it, when it comes to doing like healing work with my clients and like looking at the different parts of ourselves, like even like the good girl archetype, or like sometimes I'll call that the compliant woman or, you know, our shadow sides. Like I'm, I'm a big heal. I'm a big fan of like healing and integrating, like transcending and including, which I think Ken Wilber um, is like the, I did not make that up, like, like transcend it and include it. Right. Like not cutting off the shadow parts of ourselves, or, you know, like I never, when, when I, started on my journey to like heal the good girl or heal my relationship to my body. Like there was very little that I wanted to cut off from myself. Um, I wanted to heal that part of myself, but when it comes to shame, I'm like, Oh, that could, that, that can just go yeah. like that. That's a part that like, we can just cut that right off <laughs> like because shame will never beget healing. Mm -hmm. It just won't. And I, it's also deeply baked into, you know, my, my religious upbringing. It's like, it's so shame focused. And I think that shows up even more, sh even more so in more, even more orthodox expressions of it, whether that's like Catholicism or where there's like confession and there's all of that kind of stuff, but it's like 
baked in that like in some way the more shame that we express around our quote-unquote wrongdoing the more holy we become yeah I witnessed that last time I I saw my grandmother in the matter of 10 minutes I heard the woman say shame 20 times and I was like how what well I was just so confused like where was it coming from And it's coming from that place of, cause like what Brene Brown says, like shame is I am bad, right. Yeah. Versus guilt is I've done something bad. Yeah. And like, that is again, the foundational principle of this religion is yeah. I am you. bad. Shame on me. Shame. Yeah. yeah. Shame on me. No shame on you. No, yeah, no, no shame, shame on, on me. Shame. Shake it off. <laughs> Wipe it right off. Yeah. Like I've, I'm so, I'm so happy to let that go and like good at letting it go. I'm like, Oh, not going to shame myself. Not going to shame myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a practice. Yeah. Right. Living, I mean, living, living into our wholeness and living into our freedom and returning home to ourselves is a practice. It's a lifelong journey. You know, okay. we're not here it's for the, not a destination the lived experience. <laughs> it's like a constant choice, like even minute by minute, mm-hmm. hour by hour, second by second, like come of choosing ourselves, mm-hmm. like asking that question, like, is what I'm doing right now stemming from a place of fragmentation where I'm trying to earn love and approval? Like this is something that I have to be really mindful of um, from a productivity perspective, mm-hmm. because that that part of the good girl, she can still rear her head. I'm a, I don't know if you've talked about the Enneagram or if you're familiar with the Enneagram at all, but and I'm, you know, revealing my, my wounds here, but I'm a three and a three is like the achiever and like really from the perspective, like how much can I get done? How much can I do? How much can I achieve? How much can I, can I impress other people? Mm. And so like, and also, you know, Western culture at least is, is also a three culture. Like it's like, it's very much like baked into our culture. And Um, even American culture is like on another level. Like I've been living in Europe for the last, um, seven seven years maybe and it's the the thing about American culture is so much like more it's achievement on speed like I just (laughs) don't understand it and and uh whoa it's intense yeah it's so intense so yeah we need to learn how to deconstruct that cultural narrative wherever we live and Mm -hmm. even if we you know a lot of people aspire to American culture which has always shocked me and like being around the world I'm like why like it's because they don't really get to see or experience the nervous sitting the nervous system setting that is the achievement based reality which is such high totally Totally. And of course, if you can bring it back to a grounded, like balanced place, beautiful. We need achievers. Otherwise, how yes. how are we going to get anything done? <laughs> yes, exactly. And like, that's the part of, of like the three that I have been, I'm still in process of, and I'm certainly much further along in my journey than I was several years ago, but of integrating, right. Of healing the achiever part of me that can achieve and create and, um, yeah, like put forth the work that is so near and dear to my heart from a place of deep groundedness mm. in my wholeness of and my worth, just as I am, and not from this void of I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. I need I need other people to approve of me. I need more likes on Instagram. I need more people to like this like outside in mm. approach. Um, but it's it's like it's certainly uh 
a practice for sure to come back to that and heal that part of me. Um, and I think of it as like the, the wounded masculine, Mm -hmm. um, is, is kind of like that American hustle culture, (laughs) um, which so many of us have just taken on unquestioningly, Mm -hmm. um, and like how I can consciously bring the feminine into how I'm working and creating Mm -hmm. in terms of trust, surrender, allowing, the ebb and the flow it doesn't have to be constant linear growth on top of growth like exponential growth constantly it's like oh this can ebb and flow oh this can be I can go through seasons and cycles oh like this can actually be easy oh I don't have to expect so I don't have to check every item off of my to-do list like oh I can rest like and that's uh that's where the practice is (laughs) isn't just like actively choosing that versus going back into the default programming of the wounded masculine Mm, and the wounded masculine you know we as women how we embody that is in such a unique way because there's that masculine energy within us but also she's feminine so even if we're not using that energy in, in our work or in the work, you know, the work um, for the outer world that can show up of overdoing in our relationships and over taking care of people. And um, yeah, it's still an overachievement energy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. We can be overachieving in our caregiving. Totally. As a new mother, like I, I'm very vigilant about watching that of where, where am I in journeying with like, when do I think I have to do everything? Or I remember, you know, when my son, he was um, just a couple of weeks and I realized, oh, I don't have to be the only one that comforts him when he cries. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, my partner can do that too. And I was like, right. I was overachieving there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But every new life creation, it gives us a new opportunity to mm-hmm. um, value the yin, which is actually, I talk about it in episode number eight of the podcast. It, and it's a really good little uh, remembering of how can we really value the yin? And knowing that the yin also really helps us transform the good girl into the whole girl yes, the, whole, the whole woman, woman the yes. and I believe you have a very special you you call it specifically the feminine freedom right yes. so yes. give us give us what is that archetype about because you in an archetypal language yeah <laughs> archetypal language <laughs> yeah I mean I, I would say like the feminine feminine freedom is like it's going to be so unique to each and every single woman who embarks on that journey, like what it actually looks like. But I, I consider it like that innate intelligence that exists within all of us, Mm. right. That, um, deep knowing of our wholeness, it's the, it's like the be, do, have paradigm versus the have, do, be right. Like, Oh, my starting place is wholeness. Mm -hmm. My starting place is goodness. And from that place, how would I like to show up and create and be and live in the world? Mm -hmm. Um, Versus like the wounded masculine, which is very much so once I have, then I'll be worthy. Right? It's like, it's very um, transactional in that way. Mm. Um, but I think about the, you know, some manifestations of feminine freedom that I've accessed in myself, as well as I've supported my clients and I've seen my clients 
um, access these like key themes of like first and foremost, first and foremost, <laughs> I'm having a hard time saying that first and foremost, your voice is <laughs> combining those words, <laughs> uh, reclamation of voice. Yeah. Um, because so often, um, what holds us back from having the relationships that we want or the, 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 the career that we want, the lifestyle that we want, whatever it might be, mm-hmm. um, is our ability to actually speak it, our ability to actually ask for it. Right. Um, I think about too, especially with the good girl archetype, she's, um, at least I was very compliant in my beliefs and my opinions. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I was like, oh, I must, you know, go along with the crowd. I must, if everyone believes this, then I must believe this. It was very, you know, cultish in that way. Cause like I grew up in a very rigid ideology, theology. Mm-hmm. And so being comfortable with dissent, being comfortable with sharing your unpopular opinions and, and still staying whole within yourself, being comfortable with confrontation, being comfortable with, um, or maybe not comfortable, but like at least allowing, allowing of confrontation, allowing of saying no, yeah. right? All of that comes back to being able to access our voice and know that our voices are valuable. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say like, that's, that's sort of like the key piece of what I'm, I'm working on with my clients along with, and myself along with, you know, boundaries and, um, moving past hustle culture and into feminine flow and ease and Mm. uh, intuition, trusting like that deep internal knowing versus again, always needing somebody else's advice or opinion before making a decision. Mm. And so it's like, it's this, it's this deep homecoming, right? It's like living in your body connected to yourself, your values, your desires, um, as opposed to that, like outside and third person perspective. Love it. Love it. Love it. So in connecting with your values, what are your top three values? Ooh. Oh, <laughs> just came through. <laughs> I love that question. And, okay. So I've been giving a lot of thought to values yeah. lately. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm like, what are my top three? Because there's, there's many that I'm like sort of playing with right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say one of my my core values. And this is something that I talked about on my own podcast, Return to Wholeness, um, in sort of a controversial episode where I allowed myself to express my unpopular opinions on social, on, on, on my podcast, mm-hmm. um, it with a, t- a sort of subversive title that said, this might get me canceled, <laughs> a manifesto. <laughs> um, but I go into talking about the freedom of expression and freedom of speech. And how necessary that is for any social change, any, um, yeah. any forward movement, any progress. We yeah. need, need, need the freedom of speech in order to do that. And if listeners want to go into a little bit more in depth into like how I break that down um, versus like natural rights and positive rights and things like that, it's, it's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but freedom of expression, freedom of speech is so important to me from a meta cultural level, but then from a personal level, just with how, for how long I myself and then this, the women that I see have felt suppressed in our voice. Yeah. Um, and so reclaiming that is, is so important to me. Mm, I love that. Yeah. Um, I would say my, my next value. And again, this is like, it's interesting how we can have these values, but we don't always live into them because we think that we, we value something else or we think we're supposed to do something else. Right. Mm-hmm. Because I've, 
historically valued, like I said, like achievement, success, money, wealth, status, like that was like that, you know, sort of wounded Enneagram three mass wounded masculine. But I'm realizing I've realized over the past couple of years of like what I really value in my work is um, the word that I want to, the word that I want to use is balance, but also spaciousness comes up for me. Like I value spaciousness throughout my day. I value balance. I think it does come back to freedom. Mm -hmm. Um, I would like to have a family soon. Like that's something like a, a goal and a desire that I have. And it feels like a value of mine to to be the one that raises my children mm-hmm. and continues to, to do work that I'm passionate about. And I think finding balance and spaciousness is, is like, that's, that's how I'm going to achieve both of those things. If that makes sense. Totally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I would say like the third value, mm, I, I don't know if this is a value as much as it's just like a deep passion and love, or maybe, maybe I can put it into a value, but like, I love create a value creating experiences for people. Mm. Like I really, and I I guess like that might be community in a way, but like, I value like create, like I, in pre COVID days, hosting a dinner party. Yeah. Like, (laughs) like the, the deepest, deepest, like joy for me was to like spend my entire day cooking a delicious meal and having appetizers and having it all staged out and setting a table and having people come and enjoy that food and drink good wine and mm-hmm. um you know with you know the virus starting to hopefully dissipate a little bit like I'm starting to be able to access that again mm-hmm. um and just realizing like how how much joy it brings me to watch other people enjoy an experience that I've created for them specifically around food. Mm. Nice. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> I love that question. Thank you for helping me get clear <laughs> on my top three values. <laughs> well, it's always good. It's always good to talk it out, right? We get yeah. to have so much more clarity. Mm, so beautiful. <laughs> it's been so great to connect in with you, Holly. Is there anything that you like feeling into it right now, what is the last bit of wisdom you would love to leave our listeners with? Mm. I would love to just share that the most important decision that I've made for myself was that I and I alone am the grantor of my own goodness. (gasps) Yes. Yes. I know that's how it feels in my heart every time I remember it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So everybody, let's just place our hands on our hearts and tell us again, Holly. (laughs) I and I alone am in the grantor of my own goodness. Mm. Yes. I am the grantor of my own goodness. Beautiful, 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 gorgeous. All right. Tell us where we can connect with you links and I'll post everything in the show notes and You've already mentioned your podcast, which is fantastic. And it's also, it's on your website. We can grab it, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. So the, the best way to probably get a hold of me, if you want to connect further, would be on my Instagram, holly.toronto. Like that's just Toronto's that's number one spot. Yep. Number one spot. Great. Um, I like ideally would not like it to be my number one spot. I saw that you're like off Instagram and yeah. I was like, 
really inspired by that. Might want to talk to Lindsay about how, that, how that's working out for you because it feels almost like you have to be. Um, again, but we're disrupting patterns around like have tos and should. So um, that's very inspiring. Um, but right now, that's sort of where I've been hanging out the most. I also launched a podcast back in March. It's still baby. I have about like 14 episodes out. You are going to be on it very soon, uh, which I'm excited about. And that's called Return to Wholeness. Mm-hmm. So those are probably the, the best two places to, to learn more about my work and what I do. Fantastic. Oh, thank you, mm. beauty. And I look forward to connecting with you again very soon. Yes, thank you. I'm Lindsay Curtis, and thank you for listening to Her Return, the podcast. If you've enjoyed today's exploration, subscribe and review this podcast wherever you are listening. And if you're ready to dive deeper into your own creativity, head over to my website at herreturn.com to see how we may create some space together. Until next time, may you return home to yourself today.